Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of Anime Trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I am joined by. Hello, I am Isabel, and this is Agnes. So, without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be about dads we'd like to. Fu- I mean, I mean, favorite anime dads. Obviously, we're talking about favorite so anime dads. That Freudian slip was so close. <laughs> <laughs> so, I believe this week I'm actually the one starting off because I think we started it with Agnes last week. So, I can for sure not get any of my choices poached, which I had a feeling maybe I might be poaching others, but. We shall see. So to start us off, I am going to choose my first anime dad to spotlight, which is actually a fairly recent anime character, but it is Lloyd Forger from Spy Family, because why the heck would I not pick him? Like, come on, guys. (laughs) Um, I made a tweet about him that said, hello, daddy, and it got like 5,000 or more retweets on our anime training page, which I'm super proud of, and I stand by that tweet. And uh Overall, I don't see like why anyone would forget him for this podcast episode. That being said, I didn't just pick him because he is very hot and I have a thing for spies and assassins. I swear there is more to that. So one thing about he said, I, I'm serious, though. I promise. Yes, I do think he is very hot. And obviously the whole spy thing is just an extra bonus. But that being said, one thing that I observed of Lloyd that I thought was really interesting is that he is a good dad, but not in the conventional good dad ways is what I like to say. He's fairly realistic of being a parent who's never dealt with a a dealt with kids before, while at the same time being a really good parent. So what do I mean by that? Well, Uh, One thing that always stood out to me when I was watching Spy Family is that Lloyd will sometimes take Anya seriously to a comical point. So one running gag is Anya requesting these ridiculous things because she knows that it's capable of being acquired since she can read minds. And so she'll ask for things like, I want a pistol with a silencer too, or I want a castle and stuff like that, because she knows that those things do genuinely exist in real life. They're not just in a show or in like entertainment and that people can get their hands on them. Case by point, her own adoptive dad, who does very much have a gun with a silencer. But the uh, the funny thing they always show is how Lloyd reacts when she asks for these things. Like when uh, when Anya said, like you know, I want a gun with a silencer too. You know, he his response was, okay, if we find one on, if we find one, we can buy. Or when he was like, Anya wants a castle as well. He's just like, if there's one up for sale, we can consider it. And that scene has always been portrayed as more comedic because of the fact that what she is asking is so ridiculous. You know that she would never get her hands on it, but he's answers with like complete sincerity and seriousness when she asks and so and it's not something that parents usually do with kids when kids ask for ridiculous scenes they'll often just straight up shut them down or tell them no it's not possible while Lloyd instead is saying like okay if we find one on sale we can buy it knowing that you know you're not going to find a pistol with the silencer on sale like that and of course with the castle being like okay if you know someone's selling one we can consider it sort of thing 
But I do want to say that that is actually good parenting, even if it is portrayed as a humorous point. Because a thing that adults tend to make mistakes on is the fact that they think kids are kids, and so they don't understand anything that's going on in life, which is completely untrue. Kids actually do understand things. They might interpret it the completely wrong ways, which, you know, Anya is a perfect example of this. She has a tendency to interpret things wrong all the time. But that doesn't mean that they don't understand what's going on and they're not observing things with their own eyes and ears. And so when Lloyd very seriously responds to her and like takes her questions like, with complete focus in the fact that he's like, okay, you know, if you want one, we have to find a way to buy it first. And if you can't find a way to buy it, then, you know, you can't get it. And the same thing with the castle as well. It shows that he's taking her questions and opinions seriously. And that has actually been psychologically proven to be really good for children's like development in their childhood because they feel like they have a place in the family. They feel like they do have a say in the matter that their questions aren't stupid and their opinions aren't just waved to the side. And thus they feel more confident in themselves as well. And so I always thought that was just such a small, interesting tidbit part where, you know, like I said, it's, portrayed as comedic but the reality of of it is Lloyd is actually being a good parent in that regard and being a very good dad another thing that I liked of Lloyd's uh, portrayal is that he does make mistakes as a dad because you know he's a spy he doesn't really associate with kids or work with kids for that matter and so there's one particular scene in the last episode of the first core where Anya like you know is playing pretend and it's really cute she's pretending like she's this ultra spy just like her dad not that you know Lloyd knows that she knows and uh and her stuffed animals are like agent one and agent two and stuff like that and she wants to sneak into Lloyd's room because she knows that there are stuff in Lloyd's room that is very fascinating and obviously very dangerous for kids and so when she was about to like you know open the door and get in Lloyd flips out and like snatches her and grabs her from the ground and straight up like yells in her face like I told you not to go in there why would you do something like that which makes Anya predictably cry because kids are going to cry when you yell at them that's just that's just how it is and what I liked about that scene as well for him as a dad is the fact that when he, she starts crying, he realizes, oh, crap, I messed up. And, you know, obviously he's thinking to himself, like, you know, I don't want her to go in there because there's a lot of dangerous things in there that could, like, cause harm to her. But obviously he can't tell that to her, per se, as being a spy. And so he tries to find a way around it by talking it through with her instead and when she still like feels really hurt and is crying about it he gets creative and he pretends to be a stuffed animal to play with her to reassure her and make her feel better again and I like that because first of all I don't think Lloyd's reaction is unreasonable which unfortunately I have seen some people say like oh he shouldn't have yelled at her and stuff like that but I think if you are even like an older sibling if you see someone you love that's about to like say throw themselves over the rocks or you know put their hand through a fire you're probably going to freak out and yell that's just human nature and that's basically how Lloyd was reacting when he saw Anya do that so his uh, so his natural instinct first kicks in first kick in to yell but then he quickly realizes his mistakes and backtrack and I think there is like so I think the fact that millennials and Gen Z have a majority of them have been so traumatized by their parents and how their parents have raised them 
they kind of expect or want parents to be perfect, which is just impossible. Parents are not going to be perfect. They can't they can't be perfect just like that. Parents are going to make mistakes and raising kids is a learning process, whether you like it or not. And the most important part is for parents to recognize when they've made a mistake and apologize for it and backtrack it, which is exactly what Lloyd does, which is, of course, a sign of an excellent father. And the whole irony of the whole thing is Lloyd has no experience being in a family and honestly thinks of himself like terribly unfit to be a dad. But everything that he proves himself to be in the series has shown that he is absolutely made to be a dad. So thus, that is why I picked Lloyd Forger as my as my first pick for anime dads I would like to feature. I will not be taking any pushbacks from you two. You two must love Lloyd, okay? <laughs> That's a pretty bold oh. statement of you. Okay. <laughs> no, I am joking. You two are free to disagree, obviously. But I am curious, like, do you guys disagree with any of my points? And if you do, why do you disagree with it? <laughs> I don't disagree with any of your points. I think your points are pretty valid in that they're really exemplary of how, like, Although Lloyd has no experience with parenting, he does, I think, have a good grasp of human psychology, which is the funniest oh, part. Oh, so you're he right. Kind of, you're right. He kind of figures out to himself, like, oh, maybe I should change my tactics just a little bit. And then it just turns out to be a good thing and appeals a lot to Anya as a child. And everything just turns out to be the way that it is. I just find it really funny because... Lloyd does his absolute best at trying to be the father that tries to make the chi- his child perfect. But at one point when he realizes his child is not perfect, he's like, you know what? I'll take it. This is fine. Yeah, no, I, I think it was like when he realized that Anya is having trouble studying and stuff. And because of the fact that Anya is used to quote unquote, really, it is cheating. She's used to cheating for these sort of things. So when it comes mm-hmm. to actual hard exams where literally students have trouble answering questions she doesn't do as well but he doesn't try to force too much on her when that happens which you know that would have been nice when I grew up because I had trouble studying (laughs) I did too do not worry I completely understand Uh, but yeah, Isabel, I hope you also love Lloyd as much as I do. <laughs> I definitely do. It's always interesting to see Lloyd react in certain situations. You know, he's presented with this kid and, oh, what is he going to do in this situation? And how he handles it is usually, you know, what I expect. But how he handles it later and, um, you know, him trying to either placate Anya or figuring out, oh, this is how I should be doing it or something. Or just figuring out a way uh, to deal with himself and his mission and trying to, you know, uh, help out Anya as well is always a joy to see. I always am curious about what, what Lloyd will come up with next. Yeah, exactly. So super excited for Core 2, which is coming in about a month, I think. So we'll be on the lookout for that and expect more thirst tweets from me. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so my first pick is aside, so I'm going to move on to my second one. And I do know you know this character, Agnes, but I don't know, Isabel, if you watch this anime, but it's Professor Willard from Sirius the Jaeger. Oh, yeah, I did not watch that, so I don't know. Okay. Uh, I only watched a, a small portion of Sirius the Jaeger, so I don't really know him as a father figure person. Oh, you didn't finish the series. Okay. No, I didn't. I didn't get a chance to finish it, but it's okay. Go ahead and spoil for me. Okay. I, he actually 
plays a pretty big part to the story. So uh, essentially what ha what why I picked this one is and also I I understand the irony that all the anime dads that I picked are like adoptive dads. <laughs> so maybe that's something else we could comment on, but uh I picked Professor Willard because I thought the anime took um a stance that I haven't seen in other anime before that I feel like people tend to forget or overlook. So essentially Willard Professor Willard is part of like the protagonist team and he's a mentor uh he's a mentor to the main character um to Yuli. But the thing that stood out to me about the portrayal of him in the series is that we do eventually find out that Willard is accidentally responsible for Yuli's like family and clan's death. He was working with the vampires to uh, find the werewolf village, but he didn't have any intention of like killing the werewolves or anything like that. He just wanted to get into contact with them and talk about them and specifically talk about the, uh, the arc, which is a MacGuffin in the anime. And, and of course, what ended up happening is when he figured it out, the vampires slaughtered all the werewolves and only Yuli was alive by the end. And so uh, uh, Professor Willard took in Yuli when Yuli was only like six or five, I think. So very young and obviously harbors a lot of guilt, even if once again, it was absolutely not his intention at all to uh, for something like this to happen or really to do anything bad to the werewolves. He just once again was an intellectual that wanted to talk to them really badly. Um, but he kept that fact of his involvement like quiet this whole time. In his mind, he always knew that eventually Yuli is going to find out and Yuli was probably going to want to kill him. But when Yuli did find out, Yuli was upset in a way that he wasn't expecting. Like, Yuli didn't want to kill him at all. In fact, Yuli felt hurt by the fact that Professor Willard thought that he would want to kill him. Because uh, you, at this point, Yuli, I think, was 18. So essentially, Willard, ha Professor Willard had raised Yuli from 5 to 18 for 13 whole years and obviously treated him like a son and really loved him and cared for him. And so Yuli was like, I don't know how you expect me to just throw these 13 years away of you just raising me from a child and think that I would just like kill you because of something that wasn't even your intention in the first place. And so that was more of what Yuli had issue with in regards to Professor Willard. And there was a really, really sentimental moment between the two of them at the very end because Yuli ends up uh, finding the Ark and he decides to keep the Ark to essentially protect it and make it his responsibility to do so. But because of that, he has to uh stay away from like the rest of his group or in specifically Professor Willard. And so he when Professor Willard helped him and got like knocked down the process, he found Professor Willard again. And his goodbye to Professor Willard was basically saying that, you know, you were my second dad. And, you know, I like I really appreciate like everything you've done for me and stuff like that. And I love you as a family. And when he left, he just goes. So, you know, Professor Willard stay healthy, keep, take care of yourself and goodbye. And then he pauses and he goes, no, like, you know, goodbye, dad, specifically. And I really liked that segment of the series because I think it's, it's actually quite common in these sort of action oriented anime for there to be a person, an older 
figure mentor who has taken the main character under his wing for an extended period of time from their childhood to their adolescence, essentially. But they never get sort of seen as father figures. Like the, It's like the protagonist never sees them as a dad, never considers them a dad or anything like that, despite the fact by all definition, this older mentor figure really raised them from a child. And so I, so Sirius the Jaeger was the only one that I saw actually do something like that. Actually, actually specifically pointed out like, hey, this guy raised this kid from, from five to 18. This is a dad. Like he, he is, uh, he is Yuli's dad and he absolutely sees Yuli as his son. He like cares about his diet for goodness sakes. Like he's scared when Yuli doesn't sleep enough or isn't eating enough and stuff like that. And so I just thought that was an angle that I've been thinking about for a long time in anime that I feel like they never point out. And Sears the Jaeger finally pointed that out to me. And that made me really happy. And thus, like, it's just, I don't know. It just feels different because even in cases of adoptive dads, I feel like the protagonist, even when they are very young, when they were adopted, they still don't call them dad. But specifically, Yuli is the only one who's been like, this is my dad. He's my second dad. And that's Tulsan, you know. And so and I thought that was really nice and sweet as well. So that is why I wanted to spotlight specifically Professor Willard from Sirius the Jaeger in regards to this anime dads episode. <laughs> I think you make a really good point about how in anime, usually the protagonist doesn't see their adoptive dad as dads. And that we have a very few handful of examples, such as Yuli from Seriously and like Kyo from Fruits Basket, who sees like Kazuya as a dad, even though they're not blood related. But I think the reason why there is such a prevalence in anime where the son or the protagonist doesn't regard their adoptive father as a father is because their blood father is a plot point. Oh. And as a plot, their blood father as a plot, as a plot point leads to more drama and leads to more like uh, the son accepting the father or who he is or the son, let's say, not forgiving the father for who he is, but accepts the fact that he is born from his father, or something like that. Oh, so you're so talking about, like, the dad is still alive, like the blood. Yeah, so okay. the adoptive father tends, then that's the reason why the adoptive father tends to kind of be, like, relegated to the sidelines, mm. and is not shown as much appreciation as compared to Yuli from Sirius the Jaeger, who, his entire family is dead at this point, and he acknowledges that, the professor Willard is someone who dutifully raised him, even though he indirectly caused the war between the vampire and the werewolves. Yeah, I see what you're saying by that. I think, yes. And yeah, like, I'm thinking about Naruto and Naruto actually also did go a step further with Iruka sensei who, um, uh, Naruto basically I mean, let Yuruka was invited to Naruto's wedding at the very end. Like <laughs> if he if you don't see Yuruka sensei as a father to Naruto at this point, I don't know what you're talking right, about. Right, right. But like with Naruto, Iruka, he never called Iruka officially his like dad, but he invited Iruka sensei to his wedding in the position of his dad per se. So but I'm thinking about it, it's like you're right though, because the, there was a there's a huge plot point of who Naruto's biological dad is, and so because of that, they can't really ever say like, "Oh, Iruka is Naruto's dad," because of the fact that you're 
you kind of get distracted and you're no longer thinking about who Naruto's real dad is, which we all knew because they looked exactly the same. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Minato is like the spitting image of Naruto without the whiskers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so, but I think, but I see what you're saying as to why that's probably why they could never fully, they can never fully just say like, oh, this is my dad because of the fact that they're, the real dad is still alive or still playing a big role to the story. And thus, like, you can't like let the audience members forget that. So I see what you're saying by that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so those are my two picks for anime dads I wanted to feature. So now I will pass the baton to you, Isabel. Uh, who are your two anime dads that you would like to talk about? <laughs> Yes, uh, so going along with Naruto, because I did choose a dad from Naruto. Oh, okay. But I did choose Shikamaru's dad, uh, Shikaku. Uh, Oh, yes, Shikaku. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) I think Shikaku is great. I feel like I always forget about him in the series, though, because he's definitely a side character, but he's definitely an important character as well, because we wouldn't have uh, Shikamaru without him, obviously. Um, I always find it funny that Shikamaru just you know, throws his dad under the bus and tries to say, you know, I'm not like my dad. But like Agnes said, in probably many characters as well, Naruto, he is the splitting image of his dad. <laughs> even, yeah. their, even their tastes in women ended up being mm-hmm. the same. <laughs> they tasted women and they all have that disgusting little goatee as well. Yeah. Yes! <laughs> but yeah, they're so alike in so many ways. It's Honestly, they're like twin brothers or something rather than a father and a son. Oh, I see what you mean. As in like, because they're like spitting images. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. And then they like do the same things. Like it, it would be different if I guess if Shikamaru didn't like playing shogi or doing like saying the same types of things that his dad says or just acting lazy all the time. Right. But yeah, they're so similar. And uh, I feel like Shikaku is kind of underrated in a sense because he He's never taking the spotlight in a sense, unless it's like with Shikamaru in a scene. And but he, and not only that, he's also kind of overshadowed by other characters, such as Kakashi, for example, who is is more popular and obviously um, has more strength, or you know, is considered stronger than he is. Um, so Shikaku like realizes that, but he is fine with you know pushing Kakashi to the forefront, like hey. I nominate him as Hokage, like you guys should listen to this. So I really admire him for his intellect, uh, same as Shikamaru, I guess, but he's able to, you know, come up with strategies and things like that for the team and for the village in general. And a lot of a lot of the uh, ninjas, you know, rely on his intellect and his tactics to like carry out. And he, I think he was also the strategist in the last war. Yes, he was. He was. Ugh, rip. (laughs) I know. His sacrifice was not in vain. It wasn't, but it was so good, though. (laughs) It was really good, yeah. Yeah, just like, even in his final moments, he's still like, I've got a plan, you know? Even in, like, very... Or basically situations where there's a lot of pressure, he's able to kind of keep his calm and still plan out a strategy that will help others. Um, no matter, you know, what the cost may be. And this is something that, you know, he passes on to Shikamaru, where he, like, has this little pose as, like, okay, I'm. this is my thinking time, even if it's right in front of an opponent. I always thought that was sweet as well. Um, 
But yeah, I just wanted to highlight him as a dad because I think he has a very great impact on not only Shikamaru, but also just like their their team in general. You know, uh, because of him, they were able to do the Ino Shikacho type of uh, group. And because of their three families, they were such good friends translated to the next generation. And that, you know, they continued that um, friendship and kind of that team team synergy as well, uh, which works really well. And I think that their group is super cute in a sense, um, other than Naruto's group as well. And what else would I like to highlight about him? I think when, you know, when Naruto was sealed in the beginning also, he he was in that process, kind of like in that fight as well. And he knew how Naruto came to be and things like that. But he also kind of told Shikamaru <gasps> because... He told Shikamaru. Yes, yeah. you're right. Okay, okay. I, I was thinking to myself, okay. I'm like, if Isabel doesn't talk about the scene, I will talk about the scene. So, okay. but continue. <laughs> no, yeah, you can add on this. Um, but yeah, I totally forgot that this even happened. The fact that he told Shikamaru that, you know, you shouldn't be, or rather he thinks that he allowed Shikamaru to do what he wanted, like do what you think is right. Yes, so it's a great yes. message for him. I'm um, so excited. <laughs> Giddy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I feel like Gracie's more giddy about this edition than Isabel it, when just, she first it, 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 It's just in my head because this happened during a filler arc. This was when uh, this is when Kakashi was going through his most suicidal stage of his life, and it was very hard to watch and angsty for that matter. But there was one quick uh, scene in the filler arcs where specifically, um, specifically Shikamaru. Like, this is so, Naruto has already been born and stuff like that, but uh, Shigemaru noticed that people are really mean to Naruto, and he personally doesn't really get it, and so there's a part of him, because he's like, this kid's like, yeah, I guess he's annoying, but like, you know, I don't get why everyone would hate him and stuff like that, and so, uh, so I think there's a part of him that did wonder, like, you know, am I the weird one now, or something like that, and so he later asked, um, you know, his dad, he was like, hey, why is everyone so mean to him? You know, is there like a good reason for it? And his dad just goes, well, what do you think? You know, how do you feel about the situation? And Shigemaru, you know, responded back with saying, you know, I don't think it's right because he hasn't really done anything yet. And shouldn't we be judging people based on their actions? So I don't really get why there's this predetermined sort of view already on him. And Shigemaru's dad was just like, good, then follow, you know, what your thought process is. Because remember, you know, the Nara clan is all about perspective and you should, you know, be you should commit to your perspective if that's how you feel and because of that he uh shigemaru essentially saved naruto's life at one point because these kids these bullied kids like tricked naruto to go somewhere that was really dangerous and iruka sensei was like where is naruto and no one else in the class would tell except shigemaru stood up and was like by the way these dudes right here let me just point to them they said some <laughs> really crappy things and told him to go somewhere that was really dangerous and essentially helped save naruto's life that way so that's like for me, I was like, that was A-plus parenting right there from Shikadai. Like, and the way he said it was so, like, wise while making sure that Shikamaru feels heard and seen. Ugh, it was so good. So. <laughs> I also really like the fact that Shikadai gave Shikamaru 
the choice to choose like his friends because a lot of times like parents especially like asian parents right where they get kind of nosy and ask you like who are your friends and things like that just because they want to know but some parents get really overprotective of their kids and don't want their kids associating with like outcasts or kids that they think that will give a bad influence but she could die is just like well what makes naruto actually bad that's something for you to find out for you to figure out your own judgment and i think that really helps Shikamaru developed like a to- an overall tolerance to most people throughout the rest of his life as well, that he doesn't judge them for who they are. Yes, that's exactly it. And that's why I love that scene. And I'm so happy that Isabel remembers it. So <laughs> <laughs> She's just gushing over here. It's not even her turn. <laughs> I know, it's so funny. I'm glad you enjoyed that scene and remember it better than I do. I just kind of have like a general idea. Um, but it's kind of expected from Shikaku as well, just his actions and how he treats people, you know, all, pretty much equally and passes that on to his son and is a great teacher overall. I wish he, we would have seen more of him, kind of like in the tuning exams or things like that. Um, but I think he has better things to do other than teach kids. Maybe he gets annoyed by them other than his own son. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, I mean, I could see that for sure. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So that is my first pick. Should I move on to my second? Yes, please. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to talk more about Bleach. Oh, about yeah, okay. dad. Uh, yeah, okay. Ishii. I, I've been re-watching Bleach, which is why I didn't I didn't really think about Ishin too much. Uh, I know in the last arc, he has a, it, it's kind of all explained about his position as a soul reaper as well. But in the early, in the very, very early, you know, um, episodes of Bleach, Ishin is just a really, really funny dad. I totally forget, I totally forgot how funny the moments are between him and Ichigo. They're always going at it in every episode. Like, they're flipping each other, or flipping tables, uh, punching each other, and then, like, Ishin just kicking Ichigo in the morning. I forgot how much I love those scenes. I don't know, Agnes, (laughs) do you remember those scenes? Did you like them too? I do remember those scenes. It's like the first 10 minutes of episode one, of just son and dad just bantering and just kicking and punching the crap out of each other. And his two sisters are sitting down at the table. They're like, breakfast is ready. And <laughs> yeah. Ichigo's like, screw you, dad. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Yeah, and they make it seem like it's a, it's pretty much an every morning type thing that the father and son are against each other. And I just never really thought about this, but Ishin really cares about his family, despite the fact that he's kind of like an annoying type of dad. <laughs> And yeah. he really loves his children, though, and he obviously takes good care of um, Ichigo's sisters and Ichigo himself, although Ichigo's kind of in that phase where he's rebelling. Um, <laughs> and he's a single father as well. He lost, you know, his wife. Um, but <laughs> I find it hilarious that they have a giant picture of that as well. A giant picture of her in their living room. Wait, that's adorable, he, actually. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, he actually... So whenever Ichigo you know, fights back, sort of, not abuse him, but, like, fight back uh, and becomes rebellious, you know, I'm going to leave home or whatever, Ishin will literally go up to the portrait of his wife, it's, like, a massive portrait on the wall, and he's just, like, pleading to her, he's like, oh, Masaki, please show him the way, don't make him become lost, and he's, like, pretending that he's crying and tugging on, like, a tissue and remorse, and Ichigo's like, I'm going to school, dad, bye. (laughs) That's so funny, actually! Yeah, overall, I just think he, he he has his energy is great as a dad. He's like one of those dads that pretty much doesn't leave the family or is type a type of plot point that's important for Ichigo to grow. I think 
yes, he is related to Ichigo and is related to how Ichigo came to be, but not so much kind of like in his growth as a soul reaper. Um, Ichigo kind of just goes his own path and uh, follows what he needs to do. So I don't know if he's a good dad to Ichigo because he doesn't help him for many, many chapters and many, many episodes. <laughs> but I, th- I think, I mean, mm-hmm. the fact that it's more of like Ishin trying to hide the fact that he was a soul reaper, right? That's true, too. Mm-hmm. I think the whole thing is that... Wait, Masuki why? He was a soul Ishi- reaper? <laughs> so it's it's a bit of a convoluted story because this is how Bleach is written. So bear in mind that there's a lot of stuff that people are like... This plot, these plot points are very cliche. So basically, Ishin was a soul reaper, and he fell in love with Masaki, who was a member of the uh, Ishida clan, the yeah, clan, the, the, the Quincy clan, mm-hmm. the Quincy clan, right? Um, that has that. They're uh, the Quincy clan are normal human beings that have supernatural powers, and they can manifest like their uh, Bleach's version of mana into arrows and stuff like that, which is unheard of currently in this era. So that's why the Quincy and the Soul Reaper are at odds because Soul Reapers reap the dead and there are humans that have superpowers. So this is very strange to them. So they've always been enemies. The two of them had a very tragic, fateful love. They fell in love together. Ishin would eventually um, discard his position as a Soul Reaper and would go into the human world as a human dad. And basically raise a bunch of kids with his wife until his wife's untimely death. And he tries, I think, to hide most of the fact that he is a soul reaper. And he was actually a very prominent soul reaper, too. So um, in and of itself, it kind of lends to the fact that, you know, Ichigo is half Quincy and also half uh, Shinigami, but also has a bunch of other powers that make him super OP. So it's a little bit, it's fairly convoluted with how the story matches up. But I do really like the earlier renditions of Ishin just being a normal dad dealing with normal teenage boy issues and them just trying to like struggle to bond or have a good time during this moment of Ichigo kind of rebelling. Got yeah, it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Cause you didn't really, cause the only reason why you find out that Ishin is a soul reaper is like four arcs later where it's revealed that Ishin has a meetup with Kisuke. Kisuke is another soul reaper sort of kicked out of the Soul Reaper Society and they happen to cross paths in the town that they live and they start talking about like did you tell Ichigo you know I like so Ishin figures out like uh, Kisuke has been training Ichigo to become a Soul Reaper and Kisuke is like oh I didn't know you were in this town hmm interesting and so Mm -hmm. then it starts up the whole plot about how they are actually Soul Reapers from society and how their actions and their Uh, have repercussions on the current society today and also in the human world as well so like i said very convoluted plot but ishin is a truly lovable dad at the bottom of it but he doesn't get a lot of feature because of it well darn because i actually think that's pretty interesting (laughs) i actually like it when the parents have backstories Uh, i know i probably uh against the crowd in this regard because i know that's like some People get annoyed when it's like, oh, of course, the parents have a backstory, but I like it. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it like you said, like it definitely adds more depth to the parents and not just they're just not there. Kind of like how the adoptive father is just there and has like no importance in the story. So in a way, like having a backstory to these parental figures adds more depth to the story. It's just not done in a good, in a fantastic way in Bleach, <laughs> so to speak. I yeah. see. Although... It did surprise me, though, the fact that he was a Soul Reaper. I don't know if that shocked you, Agnes. Oh, I just hated it. Oh, you hated it. Okay. (laughs) I was like, 
Oh, of course, it explains his birthright and lineage. Oh, of course, that's a typical shonen trope. Why am I even surprised? I hate this. I like, I prefer to read stories and mangas and animes that have, you know, the, the protagonist trains every day, but doesn't acquire an item or a weapon that makes themselves that powerful. You know, mm-hmm. and of course, like lending to lineage and blood, that kind of irks me too, because that's kind of like so you can't inspire a normal person to do something like this, you know? Right. It's like the prodigy kind of role, which I don't really like in the anime as much because it's overused in the shonen trope. Like every shonen series, how many dads can you name off the top of your head that is related to the protagonist and that are alive? There's a lot. So that, I'm very sick of that trope, to be honest. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I agree yeah. with you. It's, yeah, the dads are definitely a different type of figure, especially in shonen anime as well. Um, but yeah, I personally was surprised. I think maybe I was. I'm I'm like that person who buys into the shonen trope. So I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, before I realize, <laughs> yeah, before I realize what it actually means for the plot. But I'm like, I was like surprised genuinely. I'm like, oh, he's a soul reaper and stuff like that. But yeah, I guess I get. I kind of like had that. Uh, feelings the same as Gracie kind of where like oh I like the fact that they have backstory (laughs) yes Um, I don't mind the backstory episodes I I don't complain and everyone hates them and I'm like but I like them (laughs) I'm the opposite I'm just like keep the plot moving (laughs) don't stay for the backstory but you know you might get something heart wrenchy out of the backstory and you know it never hurts to get some feels (laughs) like you're gonna talk about how Minato and Kushina met and then you're gonna cry about it do not get me started on that because I love okay. that flashback. <laughs> I didn't think it cut you that deeply. Okay. Oh gosh. Uh, obviously, Minato was never got to be a dad, so that's why he's not picked in this case. But he was a very good husband, if nothing he else. He did get to hold his baby once. He did get to hold that his is, baby like, once. That is he so died, sad. So. Okay, we do. We don't. We don't talk about this. <laughs> We don't talk about me, that's so that's why he's not featured in our favorite dad's episode today. <laughs> like he, he never okay, but he never really got to be a dad, remember? Like he was an excellent husband though. He is a husband goals, I will say that. So <laughs> um okay, sorry, we got off topic here. <laughs> that was totally on me. Uh yeah, so Ichigo's dad was uh your second pick then, correct? <laughs> Yes. Uh, I, oh, sorry, yeah, that, I answer for yeah, well. my pick. Okay, okay. And now we're moving on to Agnes. Right? <laughs> yes, now we are moving on to Agnes. So, Agnes, who did you pick for this episode today? Um, I'm going to pick a, a more normal dad, I think, in relative to a lot of the dads that we talked about here. You know, dads that don't go trapezing into supernatural worlds and, you know, fighting with big swords and magic, but an ordinary math high school dad with a young toddler this is Kohei Inuzuka from Sweetness and Light. Oh, oh so cute. okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. I really liked Kohei because it's very difficult for a single dad to raise a child. My mom and I actually had a, a, several conversations about this before after my dad passed away, where she's like, would it be any different if I passed away first and it would be you and your dad left? And now that I think more and more about that conversation, it would be really difficult no matter how doting the dad is because you know there's societal expectations of like the man is the breadwinner of the house but then many single dads as a result may fall off the other edge where they go into like alcoholism or they you know 
through child neglect or they go search for other things to, you know, sate their needs because they're helpless in the fact that they don't know how to raise a child. They don't know how to pro- how to properly raise a child and also like do the things that a woman in a nuclear family would typically do. And Kohei has to experience that firsthand in the very first episode of Sweetness and Lightning, where he is currently recuperating from the loss of his wife, I think about like six months to about a year before the start of the story. And in the very first episode, this really seared in my mind, is uh, his child is getting ready to go to school. And Kohei, as a math teacher, is like very stressful in high school, right? He has to grade papers, he has to teach class, but he still dutifully wakes up every single morning pops up in the freezer, takes out like takoyaki frozen balls, some like frozen cut meats, cooks rice and like some other stuff that he takes out of the freezer and tries to put together a bento for his child before they go to school and they go to work. And I found that really touching because of two friends. One is that he's doing the typical like house chores that a normal Japanese housewife would do. And it does show later in the series that Kohei's wife was more so of a Japanese housewife who did all of the chores at home. So now he has to handle it. And he struggles with it, obviously, too. And then the second thing is that a lot of Japanese schools do not accept frozen lunches as a lunch for a child. It's more so related to the fact that um, the Japanese like health organization and management of schools do not see frozen food as a viable source because it's unhealthy. And so... Many schools, actually, even uh, preschoolers, preschools and institutions urge parents to make as many homemade things as possible so that their child is healthy. But unfortunately for these trying times, you know, Kohei has no choice. He still needs to put together a lunch for his kid. Otherwise, his kid's going to starve while during lunch. And he can't help but not know what to make that's healthy for his child because he's never cooked before. You know, he's always been so busy as a math teacher and, you know, trying to take care of his funny and making money that he never really learned the raw skills of, you know, uh, cooking and doing house chores and stuff. So eventually the whole story of Sweetness and Lightning is that Kohei and his child become acquaintances with one of Kohei's uh, classmates, whose mother actually runs a very popular restaurant and is a food researcher online. And so Kohei, his student, and his youngest daughter sit down at the restaurant and they learn how to make home-cooked food so that, you know, they basically don't starve. And that they have a really fun time learning, like, how to make proper recipes and how to, like, bond together instead of, you know, give the child frozen food and just leave, you know. So I thought that was a super heartwarming gesture that Kohei is willing to learn these things because he knows that what he's doing right now with his child is very temporary and so that if he wants to be a better father then he needs to search for and ask for help and learn how to be like a better dad yeah and how he even like got to that point was kind of sad too but I also I also feel that because you know after a long day at work especially for dinner like he didn't cook dinner at first for Tsumuki he kind of bought yeah things from the convenience store and brought it home but then when he saw that Yutsumuki really wasn't having fun with her food she's like oh convenience store food again dad and you know that kind of built up within him as well to change that so you know he was learning as well and that's kind of how he went to the restaurant with his um with his student and to learn more about that I thought it was very touching as well as also kind of sad obviously kind of like one of the lightning parts for him as a father trying realizing this isn't working you know it'll work for him if he was alone you know pretty much doing whatever he wants he's like i'll just eat whatever go to sleep and do work um 
kind of slaving away. But it's nice that he's able to also become more brighter when he sees Tsumuki kind of lighting up. Oh, I agree. I can, I can it's so too. heartwarming. Yeah. Like, I usually don't like children, to put a disclaimer. I usually don't like raising children. I don't like looking at children. But seeing, like, these animes where the dads are interacting so well with I'm their just kids. just thinking of Agnes oh, being thinking? like, don't look at me <laughs> with kids. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's, I have a joke with um, some really close Discord friends of mine. Half of us like children. Half of us don't like children. So there's like popular gifts that you can find online of like people punting kids as like a joke. Um, obviously, it's not like an actual like real life thing, but it's just like Photoshop edits. So like sometimes we banter with each other like, oh, ha ha ha, you're the monster that dislikes children. And then we'll send like crying baby oh my emails gosh. to the other people. And then they'll just be like, oh my gosh, that kid is so cute. And it just it just is really humorous overall. But uh, Sweetness and Lightning really did change my perspective about children and that they are um, a lot more tactile than you think and that adults do need to be more careful and more kind to them as well because like you can't just raise a child in like a cold harsh cruel world like that i think something else to note here as well is the fact that um for single dads even the ones that were like that are very very heavily involved in their kids lives and stuff like that when they suddenly find themselves as like the only person raising the kid, uh, I've read a lot of stories. They never realized just how much responsibilities that their wives had before. And so, yep. and like I said, yep. these are not like neglectful fathers in any shape or form. Like they want to be involved with their kids. They do, you know, whatever they can to be involved with their kids. But even then, when the woman is gone, they said that it was a huge amount of responsibility and work that they had no idea that the mom was having to essentially shoulder. And it's always very eye opening to them. And it's always an adjustment period, too, because they're like, oh, shoot, like she was really doing all this. And so uh, and obviously this is something that, you know, parents these days are getting better at and, you know, a lot of dads I know like are have a much, much more equal sort of share of responsibilities and what mm -hmm. they have to do. Yeah. But you know, especially with when this takes place and where this takes place, this anime, it makes even more sense that he um, had this struggle where he was like, where he was like, it's different. Like you, you really have a lot more things to consider about and care about when you are raising a child by yourself. So, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, because in the Japanese society, it's very stratified between like the male and the female roles in the house. It's not equally shared. And for the most part, like they don't overlap in a lot of dudes. Like in the West, I feel like there is a bigger overlap because there's more of a practicality consciousness of like everybody needs to know how to take care of themselves. Everybody needs to know how to cook, do chores, clean themselves up and look presentable and stuff like that versus in Japanese society, it's still very, or at least in the nuclear family setting, right? Not so much in the younger uh, generation, but in the nuclear traditional generations, it's very stratified. Right, and you make a good point because the reason why women are not marrying in Japan right now is because they're like, if I get into a nuclear family, this is my life. I don't want that life, so... <laughs> Right, exactly. And then, you know, the Japanese government complains like, oh, you know, there's not enough fam there's not enough families forming, there's not enough babies going around. And so they try to f circumvent and find w incentives to make these people, you know, 
get married and to have children. And it's actually been historically proven to the, in um, if you read Japanese history books outside that's not written in Japan, but from uh, outside observers, uh, they've also mentioned that Japan did have a period of time where women were quite empowered to do what they wanted. And that was during the early 1900s. But by the mid like 1920s and 1930s, the government tried to scale back a lot of female involvement in the workforce in the government and in a lot of like political sphere things that they ended up relegating the woman into that nuclear house a wife role which is uh unfortunately something it's an incentive that they started doing long 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 ago because before women had more freedom to do the things that they wanted to do mm, so they actually kind of went backwards and they haven't bit they did the japanese went back that's the that's the funny dichotomy is that people think like oh the japanese housewives has always been a thing not quite. They actually went backwards before World War II started. It kind of so reminds me of how when... in the Sengoku era, too, a lot of women were warriors and spies. Like, they were physically involved in things. And then the Edo period scaled back women's ability to participate. And it was during the Edo period that the Kabuki, which a woman herself invented, it was taken from her hands, essentially. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So that's kind of like the weird dichotomy that comes with Japanese society and history is that women... There are a lot of roles that women had, and there are a lot of prominent figures in women mythology. It just so happens that the government gets kind of like their grubby hands on it when there's a time of stability and peace, and that they kind of roll back on women involvement in a lot of things. Interesting. Well, so that's a historical tidbit for this. Uh, I this was like, nothing to do with the anime dads, thing. but you know what? It's still interesting to talk about. So. <laughs> Uh, alrighty then, so that is your first pick. Who do you have for your second pick? My second pick is going to be an absolute classic. I think we all know who this is, and this is Maze Hughes <gasps> from Ah, uh, Okay. <laughs> so Maze Hughes has always been a fan favorite, um, especially after he par- he died. You know, with the famous scene where they're burying his body and his daughter is crying and asking her mother, like, why isn't Papa waking up? Very difficult scene. Everyone's seen it. That was the um, scene that got Shauna, the like the first scene that got Shauna to cry was the one where uh, it was Hughes's funeral. So, <laughs> Oh, God, poor Shauna. Oh, I, I understand she feels them. But I think over the years after my own father passed away and I look at like a lot of the scenes of makes, he was like being super doting to his daughter. I'm just like, that's true. Like parent love right there is especially like father parent love because, you know, fathers in society are supposed to be like big macho man, don't cry, super stoic kind of thing, right? <laughs> but Maze is exceptionally doting on his daughter. He brags about his daughter everywhere he goes in the <laughs> office to the point that Roy is like, are you here to talk about your daughter again? And Maze is like, yes! And without fail, he like flings out his entire wallet of pictures of his beautiful wife and his child. And I think that's just so telling of how like good fathers and good parents are not afraid of showing off their kids and being super proud of them and being super doting on them as well. So my dad was also an example of that too. I did not actually have a very good relationship with my mom when I was growing up because my mom was very like, you must do everything by the book. There are rules. And I was like, no. And I, like, <laughs> I, 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 I was just I thinking was to myself, child. I'm like, oh, Agnes doesn't do well with rules. <laughs> no, I don't do well with rules. It was to the point where my mom would tell me that as a child, I would she would literally sit me down for dinner and I would just literally leap off the chair and run off somewhere else. <laughs> 
Like, I would not sit still. But my dad was the one that was, like, super doting with me. He did everything with me together. Like, he took me to the park. He would, like, you know, help wash me. Or, like, he would teach me a lot of things, too. So, in a way, it was, like, a super doting gesture. And Maze is, like, almost like a spitting image of that as well. So, I was just like, oh, I was really touched about it <laughs> as I grew older as an adult. But back then, when I was watching it initially in the anime, I was just like, oh, he's just a cute doting dad. Like, so what? <laughs> Uh, funnily enough, one of my favorite scenes of him being a doting dad is not in the Monalchemist Brotherhood, but it's in one of the episodes in the original that was based on, like, Omake chapters. It was when Roy and Ed were doing their alchemist exam where they fight against each other, and Hughes was emceeing, and he goes, and he's, like, doing all this epic thing about how, like, this is a big deal, and la la, and then he just goes, incidentally, take a look, and he, like, pulls the curtain, and everyone's expecting some, like, big like hurrah or reveal over this like huge fight but instead it's just this ginormous like billboard of his daughter <laughs> and he's just like my he's daughter so proud to show her off. and he's like who turned three this year isn't she adorable <laughs> and so i was like always wondering. i think my favorite scene with mace hughes is when uh his daughter invites friends to her birthday and then mace is like is she, does she is she inviting boys? And he like literally switches to military mode where he like cocks his gun. <laughs> like he's an intelligence officer, right? Like he doesn't involve himself in like shooting down people and stuff like that. But he literally just takes out his military standard ish a standard uh issued like pistol and he's like, if you guys do anything to my precious little daughter, I will shoot you with holes. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was like so that's so cute. Honestly. Yeah, no, I I just think he's so fun. Also the way that he sips for his wife on, on top of like Oh, he's yeah, wonderful. It's like when he calls Roy, Roy at this point is just like fed up. <laughs> and it's like, I'm not here to listen to you rant about your daughter. It's like not just my daughter. My wife too <laughs> just, <laughs> He's like so enthusiastic. <laughs> just like ready to throw something at his head at this point so i think he almost threw like the telephone at him the telephone that sits on roy's desk whenever he picks up he almost threw no he did throw the phone down well that was more because uh hughes first like gave some good tips of like you know people are starting to notice you're making moves so make sure you get your allies in the right positions and a lot a lot it's like and also get a wife and like Hawkeye oh, and yes, walk yes. by at that moment and Roy just like throws the phone down so <laughs> yeah I love those two did you have a favorite moment with Hughes Isabel because I know you watch Full Metal Alchemist too yeah honestly probably the parts with um him and Roy honestly like he's just hey these are the pictures like that's the one I remember the most just him smiling and being all cheeky and Roy is just so annoying. I think he Roy just makes it more funny because he's just obviously on fire and uh, he's just he just wants Hughes to shut up, but Hughes doesn't. He just <laughs> continues. It's like an ongoing gag that is, it's like attached to his personality all the time. Right, and I think the funniest part is like you know everyone's fed up with Roy being like the womanly charmer and stuff, and then he meets his match of the oh, ultimate. Yeah alpha dad who's like i have a beautiful wife and a beautiful child what else do you got for me (laughs) (laughs) the alpha dad (laughs) the alpha the alpha chad right he has a wife and a kid and he's not afraid to show oh my god i mean like that is gonna be a coin term now for hughes he's the alpha dad (laughs) uh yeah no uh i uh, 
Hughes made such an impact on the show. Like, it's actually really insane when you think about it because he was not in the show for very long. Like, he was probably in it for, like, 20% of the time, and then he was gone. But the fact that his, like, presence is still remains throughout the plot and everyone remembers him shows, like, what an impact he made as a character and as an anime dad, so. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. Alrighty then. Well, I think that covers all our anime dads that we wanted to talk about today. So thank you everyone for listening along. Hope you guys had fun. And, you know, please feel free to share with us on what your favorite anime dads are. But I hope uh, next week we'll be back with another fun topic. So I hope you'll be here next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.